that was a much smoother transition. In the first service, me and Daryl both looked at each other because, you know, I, I have a little bit different rhythm than Jared does. And so he was like, do I, do I, do I sit them? Do I not sit them? I'm like, yeah, go ahead. No big deal. But we're going to, so we're going to start off in John chapter 3. So you can start flipping to John chapter 3 if, if you've got your Bibles. Um, we're going to start there. I, I'm excited about this. This one, I get a chance to dive a little bit more into um, some of the strengths of my background, um, some of the things that I am familiar with, some of the things that I do and have done for a living because of, of, of where these passages are going. See, we're talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, and, and, and one of John the Baptist's greatest strength was knowing exactly what his purpose was. He knew what his purpose was. He knew that uh, he was here to point towards Christ. He was here to point towards uh, the one who would be coming, and he knew that very well. So we're going to dive into John chapter 3 here. Um, so after I, I unfortunately talked just long enough for the few that were actually still willing to stand with me, um, now let's all stand back up and read as is our custom when reading God's word. So starting in verse 27, John 3, verse 27, it says, To this John replied, A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. Father, once again, we come to you and we thank you for this day. We thank you so much for just the opportunity to be here, the opportunity to, to come as, a, as a, a church body, to come as a group, Father, and uh, lift up your name, lift up your name in praise. Father, we ask now that you would speak to us, speak to our hearts and speak to our minds. Father, speak through these words, make them yours. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So have a seat. So we look at this, and, and, and like I said, John's greatest strength was knowing exactly why he was here. He knew exactly why he was here, and he knew that at the moment, at the moment when Christ was coming forward, that his role would become much smaller. John the Baptist was known. John the Baptist had a name about what it is that he was doing, but he was always making a name towards someone else. He always had the bigger picture in mind for what his role was supposed to have. See, it's really interesting now as, we, as things change in society, and things always change. Like this is the deal, is, is, is no matter what time in history you are, it is always different from the period before it. Now, there are things about our society that have accelerated changes and things like that, but it always changes. One of the, one of the interesting differences now is that um, the, the view of the larger, the view of the whole, is actually one of those things that has begun to take a little bit of a step back for the view of the lesser, the view of me, the view of my three-foot circle. Now, I have been fortunate enough to work in two areas that that's not always true. It's not always the case. I have worked in athletics and I have worked in the church. Two things that still ask you, still ask you to remove the concept of, of me first. And I'm going to get what I want for the larger, for what we are called for, for what we are called to do. See, I used to coach a young man. My last year of coaching, there was a young man on the team named Landon Dietrich. Landon was one of the, I'm sorry, uh, I used to coach college baseball. I, always, I forget that. Um, I know there are some people in here that don't know me. So I used to coach college baseball before I was in ministry. And so I was, I was, I was coaching a young man named Landon Dietrich. Landon was, you, you want to talk about just the most awesome young man that you can possibly think of. This is who this was. 
He was a great kid. He was from a, a small town. He was a very, very good baseball player. Maybe not the most talented baseball player that I've ever coached or been involved with. I've coached some talented ones, but, but he was just a, this, this wonderful young man who would do anything that you asked him to do. He wanted to do what you asked him to do because he genuinely viewed that, that you were trying to make the best decision for the team, and he was there for the team. Now, the thing is, is that my sophomore, his sophomore year, my last year of coaching, there was a couple things that happened with the shortstop position. Landon was not a shortstop, but I want you to understand something about shortstop. And I'm going to make this quick. Okay, I promise. Everybody's going, oh, now we get a theory of coaching. Unbelievable. No, it's not how this is going to go. Okay, but, but if you don't have a good shortstop in college baseball, you're going to have a hard time doing anything. It's like not having a good quarterback, not having a good point guard. There's so much that runs through the shortstop position. It's just difficult to be successful if you don't have one. Well, there was a lot of things that happened that year. We had someone decide that they weren't going to play at a point when we couldn't really replace him because of recruiting stuff. Uh, we had an injury. We had some other things not work out. And, and so as, as we're looking at this, um, Landon was not a shortstop. Physically, he'd not been prepared for it. He, th there were just some things that Landon was better at doing. Landon was better at, at being in the corner of the field and, and some of those things. But, but when we asked him to play shortstop, he did it willingly and worked so hard at it, so hard at it. But here's the thing. He was not always successful. He, he, he really was not a fantastic shortstop. He would, he would do things, and, and it was never a lack of effort. It was never a lack of work. It was never a lack of any. It was just the fact that he didn't have quite the ability, but he was out there doing it for the team. See, he was asked to go there, and that's where he went, even though it didn't necessarily make him look great. Landon would go, and there was a couple of games that he made several errors, and you could just see the pain on his face. You could just see that he wanted to do well for the team, and it, it just it broke my heart for that. Honestly, what I wanted to do is I just wanted to walk out onto the field, and I just wanted to give this giant dude a hug. He's about six foot four. I just wanted to give this big old guy a hug. I'd be hugging him around his waist. You know? Now, I don't think a college baseball player would appreciate me calling time to walk out to the field and give him a hug. Let's throw that out there. I, I did that one time in my, my son's um, uh, coach pitch game, little, you know, when he was eight, okay? I think he's 11 now. I think he would kill me now if I did that. But, but the thing is, is that he went where he was asked to go. Now, I, I, I want to I show, show you something. I have a clip for you that I want to show you in a minute because I, I want to prove to you something. Landon did not do well as a shortstop. I think Landon's year that he played shortstop was his, his worst overall year at, at college, he, he won some awards. He did some amazing things. And I want to show you exactly how good he was so this next point hit home, hits home. Three one coming. Fastball lifted in the air. Left center field and deep. Holland going back. Still going back. He looks up and this ball is gone. It's the first home run in Brett Nats history. And it belongs to Landon Dietrich. The Fred Nats are on the board. It's a 3-1 game in the fifth, and Landon Dietrich took that 3-1 pitch over the wall in left center field. So that's not a college video. That's a professional video. Landon, Landon went on to play professional baseball, played in the minor leagues, hits, is good enough to get up there and hit home runs, okay? Uh, that, guy, that guy that was pitching, I, I don't know how hard he was throwing, but I can tell you now, I have no desire to stand in the box against guys that are throwing 95. No, thank you. Landon's up there hitting home runs. That's how good Landon was, and Landon was willing, Landon was willing to, to, to not let his talent stand in the way of doing what he was asked to do for the greater good of the team. See, the team wouldn't have been successful without Landon. Even though Landon wasn't quite as good at shortstop as he could have been at other positions, he was willing to do it because that's what he was asked. 
See, and see, we look at that. That's exactly what John did. John was willing to become greater so that Christ could become, or John was willing to become lesser so that Christ could become greater. See, and we look at it, I want you to look at another passage of scripture for me. I want you to turn to Isaiah 6. We've got two verses that I really want to dive deep into in Isaiah. Isaiah 6 And the first is going to set up the stage about what is it that we are going to? Where are we going? Why are we going there? And the second is going to be a little bit different, maybe maybe a little bit different tone than what we're used to with this. See, in Isaiah 6, 8, Isaiah 6, 8, you've heard this verse before, I would would assume. It says this, Isaiah 6, 8, Then I heard the the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, this is Isaiah, And I said, Here I am, Lord. Send me. And so the question is, are you willing to go where the Lord is sending and do what he asks? Are you willing to go where the Lord is sending and do what he asks? Because see, here's the thing about this call. Here's the thing about this call is that we go where he wants and we do what he wants. See, I think think sometimes we get this a little bit backwards at times. I think we, we, we... accept him as God, we accept him as Lord, and we realize that he is powerful, we realize that he works, but man, we really, really, really want him to work in our three-foot space. God, man, you are so powerful, you are so amazing. Do me a favor, come and change my life. Change what's going on, and we certainly want the change, but we want to make sure that, that, that work here, work in this area, work in that area. God, boy, it would be great if you did this, it'd be great if you did that. See, the thing is, is God doesn't ask Isaiah, hey, by the way, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? He calls Isaiah. Isaiah answers, and Isaiah goes where God calls him. See, we often often get it backwards because we are comfortable where we are, and we like our comforts. We like our comforts. There are different things that make all of us uncomfortable, by the way, okay? If you haven't figured it out yet, I'm not all that uncomfortable talking to people I don't know. It drives my wife nuts, But there are things that make us uncomfortable. There are things that stretch us and things that pull us out of the comfort zones. And that's exactly where God often calls us. See, because we are called, we are called to go and find where God is working and be where he is working. Not necessarily just to sit here and go, okay, God, right here, baby. This is your, this is your space. This is, this is really, I'm going to stay here and I want you to make sure that you bring into this space what it is that we need in this space. Maybe, maybe it looks like success, or maybe I want you to bring people, or maybe whatever it is, but here's your space that I want you to work, as opposed to answering God's call and being willing to go and do whatever it is that he calls, whatever it is that may even make us uncomfortable. doesn't mean that he's not going to use our backgrounds and our strengths, but there are going to be moments. There are going to be moments where the situations, the places, and the people that we are around may not look like anything that we would have ever chosen on our own. See, do me a favor, look at the disciples. Uh, uh, the, last several, the last several weeks, the youth have been in a Wednesday night study over the book of Luke, over the book of Luke. And, and a couple of things that we have really looked at is we have looked at what does it look like for the disciples that answered the call versus the disciples that did not answer the call. They're not, they're not disciples. The disciples that answered the call versus the people that did not answer the call. See, in Luke 5, we see where the disciples were called and where they answered the call, where where Jesus shows his power, they recognize him as Lord, and they answer the call to bring your boats ashore and follow me, and they follow him. Keeping in mind, see, we have this concept of dramatic irony. We have a concept of dramatic irony where we know what happens in the ends of their life. 
We know what happens at at Pentecost. We know what happens when Peter preaches to thousands of people. We know when they walk out of prisons. We know when, when they do these amazing things. But understand, they don't know that. See, at that moment, what they knew is they knew fishing. They knew tax collecting. They knew the things that they had been trained their entire lives for. And here is Jesus calling them to follow him. See, these are not theologians and scholars. And yet, and yet, they would be people that go on to say some of the things that we look at today, some of the things that we base our church around today, these are men that were called to follow Christ in, an, in a way that they would become uncomfortable, in a way that they, they at times would appear to be failing, in a way that they would be stretched to their very limits and yet it wasn't about them and their comforts it was about who that called them it's about who calls us and that's why that's why it doesn't matter what the comforts and the desires are so do me a favor okay romans 8 5 and 7 okay first off let me say this i'm going to move really quick through these verses um so if you follow me on facebook Uh, I will put the verses on Facebook later, I promise you. Um, But Romans 8, 5 to 7, it says this, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of a sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's laws, nor... Can it do so? See, sinful desires only seek to fulfill and sustain those sinful desires. Think about what those things look like in our lives. Think about all of the lists that happen throughout the New Testament where they talk about the the, the flesh wants this, but the spirit wants this. The body wants this, but God wants this. Think about all of those things. That all of those things that are sinful, they only seek to to be sustained and fulfilled in and of themselves for their own purposes. For their own purposes. See, when we talk about that, the mind of the Spirit, the mind that seeks what God is calling us to, see, when we start submitting ourselves to what God is calling us to, we are now submitting to God's perspective and scope, right? See, I have, I have a, a perspective and scope of my life. I can see certain things that you can't see about my life. You can see certain things about me that I can't see. I can't necessarily see, or not necessarily, I can't at all see into the future, Right? See, but when we start submitting ourselves to the will of the Spirit, when we start submitting ourselves to the mind of the Spirit, we're submitting to a God who can see the past, the present, the future. We're submitting ourselves to the God who can see the way that our lives intersect with the lives of the people around us, whether they intersect uh, on on a daily basis. Maybe it's it's an encounter in the supermarket. Maybe it's the supermarket, the grocery store. Who says supermarket? Anyway, I'm sorry. I don't ever say supermarket. In the grocery store, right? And, and so we, we, we have the, this, this thing where I'm no, longer, I'm no longer submitting solely to my own sinful desires. See, let, let, me, let me give you an example of this. And, and, and I'm going to give you, I'm gonna give you a, a, a pretty tame example, but, but you're going to see that how this intertwines. Think about, think about gossip. Think about gossip. If I, if I walk out of this room, and let's say that I know something about somebody, and I want to share that, I have to ask myself, what are the purposes of me sharing that? Why is it that I want to go out here and do something that Scripture specifically tells me not to do? See, I'm not doing this for the betterment of, of, of God's body. I'm not doing this for what it is that God has called. God knows what's going on. 
The people that need to know will know the, 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 the situations that that functions in. God will ordain. But if I go and I go to make myself maybe the center of a conversation, the center of attention, make sure that I'm in the middle of what's going on. See, what happens now is I begin to garner that attention and draw it solely to myself. Sinful desires, sinful desires only seek to quench their own and to further their own desires. But the, but the desires of the Spirit, we are submitting ourselves, laying ourselves down. See, 1 Corinthians says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. See, Paul just comes out of a discourse where he's talking about food, sacrificed to idols, food bought in the markets. And, and so basically, as he's going through and he's talking about these different situations, how to handle, he, he boils it down to the fact that he says, look, so whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, here's the deal. That resonates with us as Baptists. We all have crockpots. We eat well, Right? Like we've had several of our classes who have been feeding our college students on Sunday night and they, those classes will tell you that those college students eat a lot. They do it right. They are worshiping through that chicken spaghetti baby. But, but what he's saying is he's, he's, he's boiling this down to the fact that everything that we do is done in worship. See, because if we do it in worship, we submit ourselves to God in that way. We're no, longer, we're no longer just focused on our desires. We're no longer just saying, like, this is about Kyle. This is about how do I further myself? How do I make sure that I have the attention or that I have all of my desires met? Rather, I'm laying myself down because there are times when glorifying God, when everything I do, when worshiping God in my actions may not always be the easiest thing on the face of the earth. See, in 1 Corinthians 6.20, we, we really see where the rubber begins to meet the road. Now we, we go to the concept of, of, of doing things to submit ourselves to God to the why. 1 Corinthians 6.20, you were bought at a price, so honor God with your bodies. See, we have a debt that we can't repay, but a debt that we're not asked to repay. A debt that we can't repay that we are not asked to repay. And so we say this, we, we, when we combine those two things, we start to ask ourselves, so, so what does that mean? What does that mean in our lives? See, in the church, that's, that's how we would classify, like we have a debt that we can't repay, that we are not asked to repay, and that's why we love God. And that is absolutely true and absolutely awesome. But here's the deal. So we, we talk about we've got a team that's off across, uh, across ministering and, and missioning to other people. Missioning to, I really, I make up words sometimes. Um, evangelizing, sharing the gospel, a whole lot of choices I could have gone with. You get me, though, right? Um, and, and so, but, but when we, when we, okay, sorry, I got lost for a minute. So when we look at this, like, like we have to break down the concept of, of love. See, because love is both overused and, and underused a lot. See, here, in this setting, in this area, when we talk about a love for God, I think we understand, mostly, but see, there's a lot of areas that it doesn't necessarily happen like that. See, it's overused in the fact that I could say that I love God and I love pizza. I love pizza. My birthday was the other day. We went as a staff and we got Trino's Pizza, right? They are not a sponsor of this church. So I'm just giving them some free advertising. We got Trino. Very good, okay? But you understand that when I say I love God and I love pizza that I don't mean the same thing. There are people in this world that don't understand that. They don't understand that because they don't understand what a love for God looks like. And so when we look at this and we look at the debt that we owe and the debt that we're not asked to repay, 
we can begin to break it down a little bit. We can say that we appreciate, we honor, we respect God at the deepest levels. Now, words are going to fail. Words and analogies are always going to fail, and they're always going to fall short. But I want you to start thinking about what does it mean to honor God with our bodies because of what he has done for us? That, there is, that, that, that love is a component, but so often we, we take love, and sometimes it doesn't mean enough, or sometimes it only means an emotional setting. Uh, but, but we begin to look at this. We begin to look at honor and respect and appreciate at a deep level that we follow him and we do everything we can for him. See, and so sometimes when everything that we can do for him doesn't necessarily align with what we want to do for ourselves, we have a question to ask ourselves. I have a, I have a best friend. I've had a best friend since I was in fifth grade. His name is Dustin. Dustin is, he's just like me. He's five foot seven. Um, we played high school football together. He's an incredibly smart guy. He's very good at what he does. He's a head coach now. He was a defensive coordinator of a, of a powerhouse when he was 30 years old. We're playing high school football, and, and Dustin was a, he was a, a, a safety, which, but the way we played it, he was basically, he was a little guy who was on the line of scrimmage. So I want you to picture this. We're playing at Belton High School. He's my height, about 50 pounds lighter, okay? And, and, and we're playing a team. Here, here's, here's the setting I remember. We're playing a team that's much better than us. I remember that their running back was, was signed to go to a, a big Division I school. They had a fullback, uh, big old guy. And basically their entire offense was just based around the fullback ran at someone, knocked him over, and the running back just kept running all the way to the end zone. Now here's the deal. Dustin was incredibly good. Dustin was very good. He was, he, he, he was me. We, we were not Division I athletes. We, we did not go on to play college football, but he was very good at what he did. He was smart, and he worked incredibly hard. He made lots of tackles, got lots of interceptions, got a lot of glory for himself. Name in the paper, pictures in the paper. But this game, this game, Dustin was asked, your job is not to go and to make tackles. Your job is to run straight at that giant hulk of a human running at you to blow you to smithereens and, and hit him and make sure that, that, that they can't really go anywhere. You're not going to make any tackles. You're not going to make any interceptions. But your job is to go and do that. Now, here's the deal. I don't remember if we won the game or lost the game. I assume we lost the game. We were okay. We weren't great. I don't know if we won the game or lost the game. But I remember a couple of things. One, I remember what Dustin was asked to do. I remember Dustin's attitude towards it. Dustin said, if it's for the betterment of the team, then I'm going to do it. If the coaches are asking me to, if the people that have the scope and perspective over the game, if they're asking me to do it, I'm going to go do it. And I remember the way that Dustin felt for the next three days. He was sore and beat up. I don't even think he practiced half of the next week. Not because he was hurt, but because he just couldn't move that well because he was so beat up. Because little person taking on giant person with full pads on doesn't always win a lot. See, Dustin was willing to appear unsuccessful for the call that had been placed on him that game. Are we willing to appear unsuccessful for the call that God has placed on our life? See, Isaiah 6, 9. Isaiah 6, 9 says this. And he said, this is, this is God. And he said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. Isaiah's job was not one of immediate success, but rather furthering God's message to Israel and to us. 
Isaiah, is, he, he has one of the, the longest books in the Bible. He's one of the most well-known prophets in the Old Testament. But his job was not one of success. He was going to preach to a people that would not repent, that would be carried off into captivity. Think about that. We have so many things that we draw from Isaiah. We, we use Isaiah so often at Christmas. He has so many prophecies, but his, his message was not one of immediate success. People were not throwing parades to Isaiah as Isaiah walked into their town. He was going to talk to a people that would not listen to him. He was going to, at times, cast judgment on a people that would not respond to God. Are you willing to appear unsuccessful to accomplish the larger goals set before you. Because we're going to have that at times, right? We're going to have that at times where it's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about furthering my goals and not about furthering my name and my whatever you want to put there, my bank account, my reputation, my, whatever it may be, it's not about that. So we ask, so why isn't it? Why isn't it about me, right? Like we say that God loves us, Jesus loves us. We, we see that in John 3. We just read from John 3 a little bit before. That. I mean, like we know that Jesus loves us. I know that the people in my life that love me want, want what's good for me. I know that my wife wants what's good for me. She loves me. I know that my mom wants what's good for me. She loves me. My dad really likes me. He's a little bit partial to me. I'm not looking over there, by the way. But we, here's the deal though, here's the deal. It's not that Jesus doesn't want you to be happy, it's that he wants you to be his. It's not that Jesus doesn't want you to be happy, it's that he wants you to be his, and we too often tend to center our happiness on things that are counter to our following of Christ. Now here's the deal, it doesn't always mean that those things that we follow are not always bad. There are things that we can follow that are, that are good, I, here's the deal. If, if, if I want to provide better for my family, I want to give my kids better things, I want them to experience things that maybe I can't experience or haven't experienced, and so I want them to have better, that, that, that there's nothing wrong with that. But if I begin to make that my central focus at the detriment of my faith, at the detriment of following what God has called me to do, then now it has become something that I have placed what I want above what God has called of me. And the moment that I do that, I place my happiness counter to his will. My happiness counter to his will. In 2 Timothy 1, 9 and 10, it says this. It says, He who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purposes and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. See, the gift of grace and freedom is so great that we are, we are to be willing to lay our lives aside for the sharing and spreading of the gospel. Now, here's the deal, though. Here's the deal. Like, like y'all know me. Y'all know me. I, I, here's what I don't want this to do. I read, I read about the grace and the freedom and the, the gift of Christ because when we start talking about love, we start talking about appreciation, honor, respect of all of the things that God has done for us. This is not one of those things where I have to drag myself along to, to following God. 
If we genuinely in this room believe that God is who he says he is and that Jesus has done what he said or what we believe that he has done, then we are going to be thrilled to follow the call of Christ. We are going to be thrilled to follow what that is that God has placed in our life and called us to do and be excited to do. And it looks different for absolutely everybody. That, that Yes, there are difficult decisions that have to be made, but in following Christ in those difficult decisions, there is a joy and an excitement and a peace that we cannot possibly understand without that movement in the direction of God's call. That's why when we lay down our lives for the gospel, it is a joyous and exciting thing. It's why when someone comes forward, we celebrate that. We, 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 don't, we, don't, we don't have them come down and we're like, oh boy, this is going to be a tough one, man. Glad you're here. Are you really ready for what's coming? No, it's a celebration. That's a reason why we bring them down to the front and we clap and we get excited and we should. And when, when someone gets baptized, we are so thrilled because it means now that they are following the call which God has placed on their life. And that is something that cannot be measured in money. It can't be measured in power, in status, in anything. It can only be measured in eternity. And that's exciting. That's why when we, when we give to God, when we lay our lives down, when we, when we, when we enter into ministry, and I'm not talking about like, like ministry like, like I'm here doing this. I'm talking about when we enter into ministry of sitting with a friend and talking to a friend, of caring for someone that is going through a difficult time, when, when, we, when we share our faith, when we have the opportunities, like those are the things that are joyous. Those are the things that are exciting. Those are the things that at times can be uncomfortable but are exactly what God has called us to do. And so as we wrap up, here's the two questions. Are you willing to go where he calls you to go? And are you willing to lay your success down for his success? Father, once again, we come to you and we thank you for this wonderful day. We thank you for this opportunity to be here, to worship you, to praise you, Father, to sing to you, and, 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 and Father, to meditate on your word, to, uh, to, to lay our lives down before you. Father, I ask that in this time, Father, that you would work in our hearts and our minds, Lord, that you would, you would be heavy on our hearts in, in drawing us to your will, drawing us to the things that you have called us to, Father. Reveal those things in our life. Father, we struggle at times because it, sometimes it feels like there's such a haze in the decisions that we make. Father, reveal to us the directions that you're calling. Help us to seek you out with our entire heart. Father, I ask that in this time as, as we... We sing and worship again that as we stand, Lord, that you would, you would reveal to us your mind and your thoughts, Lord, that if, if, we need to, if we need to pray, if we need to kneel right where we are, if we need to grab a friend that's close to us, if we need to come to the front, if we need to come and, and, and pray with me or, or whoever, Father, I ask that you would give us that freedom, you would give us uh, that, that strength, Lord, that if we are worried, if we are, if we are embarrassed, Father, that you would remove that from us, that you would stretch those boundaries. Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, Father, that they begin to feel maybe that, that tug at the back of their mind or the back of their heart, that they start to realize, hey, wait a minute, the things, that, the things that I heard today are things that are resonating in my heart. That the, the life that God has called me to, that the, the things that he has done for me are, they're pulling me to obedience to him. They're pulling me to an appreciation, an honor, a respect and a love of him that I have not yet experienced. I ask that you would give them the strength to come to the front, 
to talk to me, to pray, to, to celebrate and join in worship. Father, we thank you for your love, for your power, and for your work. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, as we stand and sing, I'll be here at the front.